Do you remember Thomas the Doubter? And he says that I'm not going to believe that this guy Jesus came back until I've put my fingers in the, in the holes. Tell him hi. Excellent. So if you have your cell phones, please silence them now. <laughs> That's, we're going to put that on your list, Henry. Thanks for the reminder, Terry. All right? <laughs> you can turn this, turn the game down a little bit. It's pretty hot. Um, but it's really important that, that we recognize what do these worship songs mean? Like, why are we singing them, and what do we mean? What's the theology behind the songs? What's the theology, the theology, what is the study of God behind a song like Scars? What's the importance of remembering some things? Like, I don't want to remember all that pain. But if we don't remember where we've been, and what, what God has brought us through, how do we remember always to give God the glory, to give God the praise, to recognize that it's only by the power of Christ that we made it through the stuff. I've had some pretty, uh, pretty nasty days in the world. And I'd like to think that I learned from every one of them. And now being a Christian, it's beautiful to know that it's those scars that Jesus declared for us that make me good enough, that make me worthy of the love of the Father, that it's that blood that I can actually get back to the creation and what God intended for me from before the plan ever existed. Right? That's a pretty big thing. It's a pretty big thing to recognize your place in the world. It's a pretty big thing to recognize the gift that Jesus gave us. Amen? So I hope and pray that as we as we continue to grow and, and learn, that we do take the time to recognize that worship isn't just singing pretty songs to make us feel good. It's about taking us to those places. So today we start, well we don't start, we continue the book of James. We're on week two. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to maybe start by saying that some of you might leave here today a, a little bit frazzled. Because while you can read the book of James and you can go, oh, that's pretty, um, it is. But it's pretty in a way that you might not think. Can you imagine that this entire book was, was written to help keep the history written to help us to see the transformation necessary in our lives. That though God loves us where we're at, he loves us enough not to leave us there. And so sometimes the hardest thing we can do is voluntarily enter in to change and transformation. Right? Right. They talk about the recidivization rate in the prison and why it's so high. And oftentimes they talk about controlled chaos. You have free hops with a cop. You know what time you're getting up tomorrow morning. You know what time lunch is. You know what time nap time is. You know what time all this stuff is. And so even in the midst of all the clarity and chaos and something that we would, most of us wouldn't want to be in, we find comfort in that. 
And in our lives, we can walk through this life with a certain amount of misery and become relatively okay with it. Like, okay enough to not change what we're doing. Right? But the Word of God says, imagine this, that the amount of chaos and disarray and disorder and all these things that are popping off in your life, we can use those. We can, we can use the stories, but we can also help transform your life so that we're not walking in as much of it. When you're knee-deep in poo-poo, it's really nice to get to ankle-deep, right? It's, it's a lot. She's like, you're just kind of thankful that I'm not trudging through it. It's just getting your shoes dirty. And that's almost what we do. We get, we get satisfied with knee-deep or hip-deep, and uh, I can control that. I know what to expect. Life is predictable in, in many ways, and then we just sit back and rest on it. But the Bible is written in a way that if you ingest that word, if you ingest what God is speaking through these folks, through these authors, and you take the time to understand it, that you will be transformed. Like the word of God is a love letter, yes, to each and every one of us, and when we pick up the Bible, we're not just picking up the word of God, we're picking up God's love letter to us, right? Anybody been in a relationship where you help work on each other a little bit? Ever? Right? I think all of us have, and all of us certainly should be if we haven't been. By now, and that could be moms to daughters and sons, fathers to sons and daughters, whatever. Well, this is God's way of speaking to us, and sometimes those lessons come a little hard. So today is, today I feel is, is one of those days, right? And, and when you think about the message today, I want you to think about what God is doing in Portage and what God is doing through the ministry of Torn. Because Torn is about having one foot in and maybe one foot out. Having this internal struggle, this internal battle, where I almost feel like I'm torn between my life with God and my life without God. And they're almost two separate things, and I'm just ripped. And I, I love my life this way, and I love my life this way. But they're tearing me apart, and at some point in time, i got to get to the point, i got to get to the point where I'm picking which side I'm on, which side am I going with. Because if I don't, I'm going to rip something here, right? That's not going to be, it's not going to be comfortable. So I'm going to choose one side, or I'm going to choose the other. I can't remain in both, or of both. I have to make a decision here. And God is calling me every bit as much, if not more. He's probably calling us more, and he's working more from the beginning of time to bring us back. While we know that the prince of darkness rules this earth, and we are almost like raccoons chasing shiny stuff, right? When do we get to enough? When do we get to enough stuff? And it's not that you can't have stuff, because stuff will come from that relationship. God is the giver of good and perfect gifts. But to base your entire life off of God is tough. And the word tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I want you to think about this today as, 
as the message is coming out, that I'm renewing my mind. I'm making new my mind. God is working in me through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring something new, to make new again. Right? And so if you're entering into that process, if you're willing to allow God to work in you and through you, then something's going to change, and that's okay. Right? Like, you don't have to live in a controlled chaos. You can live in the beauty and wonder and blessings of the Father with fragments of stuff flying at you. But you always, as we learned last week, when we're in the midst of it, God always gives us a way out. Right? So we know these things, and we have to start, we have to start understanding what God is talking about. Like that we're part of this thing, otherwise we're missing the boat. What's the point of it all, right? What's the point of us even bothering coming to church or getting dressed up if we're unwilling to? See, because I don't know if that's necessarily faith. I think that's writing the insurance policy, right? So like maybe if this whole thing called Christianity is real, then maybe I'll just be maybe good enough. And so if I show up for enough Sundays, then maybe, just maybe, I'll get to this place that may or may not be real for an eternity. And when you hear that out loud, what does that sound like? How many people get a little defensive about that? Like, I'm here for Jesus, right? Am I the only one? Because I know if I heard that, I'd be like, no, I'm here for the right reasons. But the deal is, like, let's really check ourselves. Because here's James... Jesus' brother, who is writing this letter for a reason to those people in the diaspora, right? The dispersions, the, the, that group that broke off when Jerusalem fell. And the 12 tribes were out here running around kind of doing their thing, and certain people settled. So they would have known stuff. These were Jewish people. They would have known the traditions. They would have known the things. So if that was just enough, if that was enough, then why would James have to write this letter? Would he have to write the letter if they weren't sitting in the same place you are? And the messages that are being written about, yes, they're good for you, but who were they written to? Yes, they're for us, but who were they originally written for? So don't take defense, but take honor and blessing and glory because God is including us in this. And we're not the first ones, and we won't be the last ones. But out of our transformed lives, out of the renewing of our minds, perhaps we can help the next generation to come up with less calamity in it. Amen? Amen. And that's, that's worth it, isn't it? If you can actually help somebody by giving them and introducing them to the Word of God, would that not be a beautiful thing? Would that not be something that you could take to your grave and be proud of? So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to, to study your word out. Um, Lord, you have so many blessings and so much beauty in this word. But yet, Father, it hurts a little bit. So I'm going to pray ahead of time, Father God, that you would soften hearts and you would loosen up necks and you would take thick skulls and make them thinner so that we might be able to hear not just what we say, but what you say, Father God. Might our lives be transformed, renewed, and totally sold out and given to you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, the book of James.
James 1, 7, if you remember last week, we end on this. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Remember that? How does that feel, like thinking about being double-minded? That's not, that's not good. doesn't feel right. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Matthew 37, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. See, so how can you say yes and say no at the same time? What's your answer? What is your answer? Is it yes or is it no? You have to make a choice. You see, because we have free will to choose God or to not choose God. That is our decision. We can choose eternity in heaven with the Father, or we can choose eternity in hell with the prince and principalities of darkness in this world. You're going to pass one day. Each of us will. Where will we go? And while we're here, we're operating, are we operating in double-mindedness? Are we coming to church Saturday or Sunday or whatever your day is saying, Hallelujah, praise you, Jesus, thank you, Lord, for the thank you, Lord, for the scars, and then are we acting like permissious commits when we go out in the world? Where are your relationships in this world? And who would say that they know you to be a Christ follower because of your behaviors, because of the things that come out of your mouth? Because your actions speak louder than words. When I was courting my wife, she would always tell me, actions speak louder than words. I would say, I love it. Actions speak louder than words. I'd go, stop with that. <laughs> right? Like, I've done nothing but show you that I love you, and all you can do is keep throwing this stuff at me. It's the same thing. I'm like, man, what is the matter with this girl, and why do I love her so dang very much? Right? That's annoying. <laughs> but it's the truth can you imagine our father in heaven as we say on Sunday morning and I'm thankful for the scars cause without them I wouldn't know your heart well if you know his heart and you want to follow him then follow him or don't one or the other there's an old saying that I won't repeat but it has something to do with the toilet remember when you were coming up and we'll just leave it at that. Those of you who know, you know. Those of you who don't, there's no real need to know. Okay, it's not where we're going today. <laughs> All right, James 1, 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That is a yes or a no statement. Yes or no. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Yes, let him ask. Here's your answer for the wisdom you seek is to ask God. Definitively ask God. Who gives generously. It doesn't say may. It says does who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
But let him ask in faith. You need to have that security knowing that God will give you the very things that you're asking for when you are in his will. Okay? We talked about wanting Lamborghinis and Ferraris and McLarens and, you know, the, the seven-bedroom house and 6,000 square feet and whatever. What is God's will? Knowing God's will is really important. And we're talking about we're talking about being double-minded or not being double-minded. And being double-minded, one is of the world, one is what? So you either want what you want or you want what God wants. And so my prayer is that you want what God wants for your life, knowing that God is the giver of perfect gifts. Amen? But we settle for this. This one is complacency. This one is that controlled chaos or that sort of controlled chaos. This is sort of that level of living almost underneath your own radar. Like, if you can just zip along right here, you can it's almost like flatlining through life. But then life bombards you with all kinds of stuff and you can't get, you, you get hit by it and it throws you out of control. It throws you out of control, it sinks your boat because you don't have that faith in God to say, hey, God, I'm struggling here. I need you. I surrender. I give up. I can't do this without you. And that's a really important place for us to get to because that takes us from being double-minded, one foot in, one foot out, to being single-minded on the Father, right? We're making new our minds, so we have to start thinking about these things. James 1, 9 through 11 let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. The Greek is hypsis. What does that say to you? Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Boast in whose expectations? Exaltations. Whose? When you read that, who is he talking about? Let the lowly brother boast in what he's doing. So, so those who are not of the world, how many times do you hear them boast about all the great and wonderful things that they've done? Right, and they're taking full credit. Yeah, they did great things. But those of us who are in Christ, we boast about what Christ has done in us and through us. We boast in God, not in our own selves. It's okay to feel good. It's okay to feel proud to answer the call of God. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that when you take God out of the equation, hey, world, look what I did. Right? Are we seeing this? Like we we got to pay attention. we got to take these things back to what God is trying to point out to us, this double-mindedness. Because we can't be. We need to be singly-minded. And so here it is. Let, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltations and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Horea, conduct. In the midst of his conduct. So we can see, we can see the character of Christ in those who are walking with Christ. And I've struggled with this one for a long, probably since I've been a Christian. But sometimes I feel like I need to be over here to preach the gospel when God is calling me to be over here. And I start setting a lesson, and I'm doing some good over here, but, but if I was over here and I was preaching 
and I was talking and I was sharing, I was evangelizing the love of God, do I have to get into the scenario and take the character of the people here to, in order to speak the word of God to them here? Or can I stay here and love these folks, even where they're at, but maintain my character? Right, I talk, I talk a lot of times about being right or being righteous, and that's a choice. Is it more important for us to be right or righteous? Right, so I need to stay over here. I need to stay singly minded on God the Father. I need to be fixed to his word. I need to be fixed to his love, fixed to his affections, and fixed to his gifts, fixed to everything that he's called me to instead of being here. This side's going to get me in trouble. It's a matter of time. And what does the word tell us? Rather you be hot or cold than to be lukewarm. Right? Either know him or don't know him. Don't be sitting here walking in the middle. Now recognizing that we all struggle with that, being stuck with that line right, right betwixt us and we're getting torn apart. We understand, but we have to, we have to surrender to these things and begin to get to a place. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Who tempted or tested Job? Do you remember the story of Job? Who, who was the tempter in that story? Who tempted Jesus in the desert? Who tempted Job in his? Huh? Don't be scared to answer. This is the thing, like, it's okay, guys. It's okay to be right and or wrong. All right, we're gonna create a safe place so that we all feel like we have a place to learn. And being wrong, we're not, we're not the American school system here. It's not pass or fail. You're not, you're not going to, you're not gonna be scolded or reprimanded for having a wrong answer. So it's okay to answer. Answer what you think, answer what you feel. It's okay. Right? Safe. There you go. Amen. Thanks for the help. Yeah. So we have to remember this stuff. We have to remember who's tempting you, who's prodding you to do this side of stuff versus who's tempting you or who's loving you and ushering you into the glory here. We're trading the glory for a momentary temptation, for a momentary satisfaction. We need to decide which way we're going. We can no longer be double-minded. Double-minded is bad. Double-minded is bad. All right, Romans. <coughs> Will you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter five, verses three to five. We'll take a two-second break while you turn. Please go there now. Everybody there? All right, so now if you think about 
What we learned last week, Paul or uh, James says to count it all joy. And most of us sat there going, yeah, James, you're on something. Because the stuff that I've gone through, I can't count it as joy. And then he spells it out that in those trials and tribulations, in the things that this world has for us, that God is always giving us a way out. Right? God will give us a way out. He'll give us a way to handle our, our hearts and our minds when we're in God, when we're in Christ Jesus. We have this. So here's Romans, and he says, now this is, this is a, a continuation of what we heard last week from James. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you're anything like me, you're like, okay, Lord, how much character does one person need? Anybody been knocked down a time or six? Fifteen thousand? Right? I keep asking God, like, every time I take another kick to the face, I'm like, Lord, how much character does one person need? Like, don't, don't you think that I have enough character yet? Like, isn't it time for you to just stand up and slay the dragon that keeps blowing that stanky breath all over me, knocking me down? Don't you think it's time, God? Look ahead then, Fred. The reason that you're feeling all that pain is because you're not focused on me, you're focused on the pain. You keep focusing on the struggles instead of the solution. You keep telling me how big your problem is instead of telling your problem how big I am. You see, we're putting God second, we're lifting up idols. We are virtually idolizing our struggles and the things that come against us because we give more credit, more credibility to them in the situation, in the moment, than we do God, than the solution that God has given us, himself, his Holy Spirit in us. This is that double-mindedness, and so we're focused on the Adam's hurts and it sucks versus being over here, like, praise God. Thank you, Lord. I don't like this, but I know that I have you. And it's hard, but I know that with you, Father God. Because remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but what the devil has taught us is that we fight each other, right? You've made me mad, and therefore I get to be mad at you. I get to scream and yell and fight, and I'm right. You're wrong. You shut up, and I'll keep talking. Because you could do really well by listening to the likes of me. Does that sound how a lot of our fights go? Right? Somebody's right, somebody's wrong, but somehow in the midst of it, we forgot to give God the glory. Somehow in the midst of it, we forgot to turn to God. That's why you don't hear me arguing about Scripture. I let people who are the know-it-alls of Scripture just know it all. You're fine. Go ahead and say what you need to say. I don't care. Say it. Speak it. Whatever. It says in Proverbs that a fool argues scripture. I know scripture and I know the stories. And I know the love of God. And it's not about me being right or wrong. If you want to sit down and you want to have a study about this, we absolutely will. Let's honor one another. Let's sit down at a table. Let's ash it up. Let's see what the word. Let's go to the word of God. But you get those people who just slam dunk everybody. Bah, I know it! 
right? And then you feel this big because somebody has come against you in the Word. Now, if they were carrying the character of Christ, there's not always the need to slam somebody. Most of the time, there's no need to slam somebody. There's a time to stand on the Word and be firm in the Word, but to help your brothers and sisters walk in and through this stuff is important. You see, so if I'm double-minded, then I feel like I need to argue my point and I need to nail you to the cross, which Jesus already took. But if I'm walking with God, then I don't need to, but I'm going to take the time to be in relationship and build and bring this out in and through and to you because you actually matter, right? Can we not humble ourselves and walk with the character of God? So, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. But sometimes in the midst of our battles, in the midst of our struggles, we take on shame. Why would we take on shame? Is shame from God or is shame from the enemy? Shame from the enemy. Shame's from the enemy. Do you know the difference between guilt and shame? So guilt is what I did, shame is what I am. So I was a drunk and a drug addict for the majority of my life. We're almost turning the corner here, I think. Yeah, I'm right at, I'm right at the halfway mark. I'm about to get to the good side, right? So, maybe not, but I'm close. I don't know, we'll figure it out later. Where was I going before I got distracted? Guilt and shame. Where, where was I? So I was a drunkard and a drug addict and a womanizer. Now that's who I thought I was, even though in my heart I knew that there was something better in me. Like I knew that I wasn't that person, but it seemed in some ways easier to be the drunk and the drug addict and the womanizer, hurting people everywhere I went, because that's kind of that controlled chaos. At least I could tip a bottle, I could do a whatever, and I could get out of where I was because I didn't know the answers because nobody was teaching me the answers to get to where God was calling me to be. And nothing seemed to fit, so it's easier to live in my misery. And it wasn't until I really knew God and I was really ready to surrender my life that he delivered me from it. August 6, 2006, I got on my knees and said, God, I can't live like this anymore. I need you. And I'm one of those pain in the butt stories of bang, instant relief from the cravings, instant relief. Not everybody gets that. But I was at a point in my heart that I had to get to. And God met me right there. And that's hard. That's really hard. But the struggles and the fights that we live in our lives, they don't have to be drugs and alcohol. They can be other things. They can be just the battles that we have in our brain. The where our brain and our heart and our feet don't meet or seem to meet and we're walking out in a way that just doesn't bring us the joy that, that we're supposed to hear about. And how is it that how is it that if this word of God is so great and so wonderful, then why am I stuck in this pool up to my knees? Maybe there's a lesson in it. 1 Peter 1, 6, 7 backs up what we're talking about. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
First Peter, right here. It's okay, keep going. Let's do the back. One of the shorter books. The only way that we're going to get familiar with our Bible is to open them. And trust me, I still flip through the pages to try and figure out where I am. I'm like, I think it's right here, but okay, there it is. And I just <laughs> click through it. So 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than what? More precious than what? Gold? How could that be? Remember, we're talking about double-mindedness. And all of us want to chase the gold, right? Come on, let's be serious. Let's be just brutally honest. Half of our struggles are from chasing gold over here. And you can put whatever you want in place of gold. But I need to have a relationship because when I'm in a relationship and I'm giving up my body before I'm married, then I feel this way. When I'm treating my spouse this way, then I'm feeling better, but I know that the Word of God tells me that I'm supposed to love and honor, and I'm supposed to be a helper, but I'm not doing it. I'm over here because I'm chasing that righteousness versus the love of God. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith could be proven to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you really understand who Jesus Christ is and who you are in him? Fully, completely. Do you grasp that? We sang the song, I'm thankful for the scars, but what does that mean in your heart? What does it mean in your heart? Being honest, what does it mean? And is there something stopping you from what's in your heart to how you're walking life out? And then we need to get to that point of figuring out what that is. What am I chasing? What am I afraid of giving up? What am I holding on to so desperately what am I clenching in my paws that I don't want to give up? Because if you're to humble yourself and get to that place, you're going to find that the love of Christ is greater than any of these things, but it's hard to get there. Sarah and I just celebrated eight months, and I tell you what, we're just getting to a point in our relationship where we're actually starting to grow in this positive thing. We went through all this testing and all this garbage, but now we're getting better. We're learning how to communicate with each other more. So for now, it's great. And I praise God that we can both remain humble continually. It's important. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Are you girded up? Are you positive and secure in your walk with God? Or is the enemy going to pull you? Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
That means you and I, like you, we all think, the enemy thinks, don't tell anybody your struggles because they're just going, they're going to what? They're going to judge you. They're not going to understand. So keep it all to yourself. Keep everything, all your struggles, all your fights, everything to yourself. But wouldn't you be amazed to know that you're not the only one that's living out that country song? Right? There's a lot of people who lost their truck, their dog, and their wife. It's bad news, but it's pretty common. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So there's going to be times when you're going to struggle. I'm a huge anxiety guy, and so like, when I get upset about something and my wife goes silent, oh my gosh, does that bother me? You, you might as well smash me in the head with a brick. I would rather have you smash me in the head with a brick than not say anything to me. Oh my gosh, and my body just starts buzzing inside of me. <laughs> I'm like ready to explode and I can't handle it. It's like, for the love of Peter, Joseph, and Mary, this sucks. Right? Like just that, that, and we have those things in us that like, we don't even know what to do, but we know that when we turn to God, it's like, I want this instant answer, but sometimes I have to stew in my own juices for a minute because I'm not really giving it to God. I'm double-minded, and it's like, well, God, if you would, and I'm playing this beggar who's stuck between here and here. If you're over here in the world, then you need to beg and ask God, but if you're over here with God, then you already know, because we read the word that tells you he will. Right? So we struggle and we stew and these things percolate inside of us, and it just keeps building and building and building and growing and growing and growing. Because we're not finding our joy and our happiness in God the Father. We're finding our happiness and our joy in the world and the people in the world. Sarah is not responsible for my happiness and joy. Period. Period. She's my helper and a gift from God. But if my grace, if my love and my joy doesn't come from the Father first and foremost, Everything she does that is contrary to my thoughts and my desires is going to upset me. And then I'll blame her. And what a horrible, terrible person she is. No. She's just a person. I've given her way too much power in the world. I need to love and honor and cherish God. First and foremost. That's just the way it is. Because what does it say? Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Back to James. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts who? No one. No one. So we sit here and we give, oh, well, God must be tempting me. He must be testing me. He must be, who's the tempter? Satan. Satan. What is God doing? What's God doing? What's that? 
He gives us a way out. Amen. He's interceding. He is, he is calling out to us in prayer and supplication. He's calling us to peace. He's like, please, child, please remember me. I'm right here. Turn to me. Come on. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Come on. I'm your answer right here. I got it. God is not tempting us, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Is it better to be right or righteous? And this is a serious question, a serious question. I ask myself a hundred times a day. I'm new to marriage. I'm new to being a stepdad. I don't know any of this stuff. I thought I did. I read lots of books. I've got, I don't know how many certificates in family and ministry, family and children's ministry. But it doesn't teach me how to, how to love kids who sometimes act like they could care less if you were alive or dead. How do you do that? It's not on the kid. The kid's just being the kid. Right? God bless them. I look, I'm forced to look back at my own life and see what a pernicious commit I was to my parents, my stepdad. And, and if I really want to take a serious look, I'd be blessed by some of the behaviors, right? It's okay, I've done worse myself. It doesn't make it right, but how I handle it. But the enemy wants to tell you some things. James 1.15, then desire, when it has come, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So your need to be right is walking over here without knowing God. And it is a call to death. Because if you keep on that path, the wide one, the one that's so easy, the one that the world is painting is so good, leads to certain death. The one over here leads to eternal life in Christ, right? Over here with God. And yet somehow, when we're not measuring this stuff out, we're stuck in the middle. We're getting ripped apart. How many of you guys like this? How many of you guys want to sit on that machine as the world pulls you into two different directions? Me, for one, I don't. I want to renew my mind. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I can walk with the Father. Amen. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So no shadow, no variation, no deviation, no nothing will change the character of God. Nothing will ever change him. He's the same from the beginning to the end. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, regardless of what. And you and I are blessed with the same spirit in us. We have the spirit of God in us. And we could be like he if only we would choose to walk that way. And he will give us that. The more and more we reach out to him, the more and more we surrender to him. Sanctification is a process by which 
we are coming to know and walk in that fullness of God. You see, it's important to know that, that you're not perfect outside of the eyes of God. You're a work in progress. You're a whip. A work in progress. And it's okay, but keep working. Keep working and don't give up. Through the trials, through the tribulations, through the struggles and the fights, don't ever give up on what God is calling you to. Don't ever forget who God says that you are. James 1.18 Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. So we are what the world sees God's first fruits in a sense. Who was God's first fruit? Adam and Eve. We, being redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, are, in a sense, the first fruit. And so when you look at that bottom, it's called an entity metaphor, an ontological metaphor in which a specific concrete entity is used to conceptualize an abstract concept. Like, how is it that I'm a fruit? Do I look like a berry? Maybe closer to a banana if I stand like that. So he's using a metaphor to help us to understand. And this first fruit is the glory of God. We are walking out in that fruit in the love of God. Because again, remember what we just read, every perfect and good gift is where? From God. What were all the fruits and the trees and everything that God planted? When we read Genesis, what were they? God said, and they were good. That he gave every plant for life, for consumption. They were good. And we are good. So, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creations, of his creatures. We're going to end with Jeremiah 2, 2, and 3. So remember, Jeremiah would be one of the prophetic books, so it's probably closer to the middle of your book. All the prophets are typically right in the middle. They're called the wisdom books. And you'll find them after Psalm and Proverbs, and then comes Isaiah and, and Jeremiah. So if you look almost in the middle of your Bible, pretty close. Everybody there? Okay, Jeremiah 2, 2 to 3. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, and all who ate of it incurred, incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. So you remember when you first gave your life to the Lord and you were on fire for God and then, and then life happened and you started leaking and you, and you started straddling that line. Or maybe you kind of sort of made the decision to follow God, but maybe not really kind of sort of. Like enough, just enough to make it possible. Just enough that you might have had, well, if this thing's real, I got, I got a foot in. I'm holding my ground over here. But I'm holding my ground over here. 
But if you're to recognize God's love for you, you're going to jump over here. I remember the devotion of your youth. Your love as a bride. How you followed me in the wilderness. You know, beloved, it's, it's a hard life out there to walk sometimes. It's a struggle. But God is the answer. Of course, you can talk about it. Come up, I'll uh, pray and we'll close it up. But I just really want, I really want each and every one of us to recognize that it's a choice. And then obviously from James, we're hearing that this double-mindedness thing is not necessarily a good thing. Right? So God has us in control. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessing.